0: Welcome to the Thinklings Podcast, a conversation where good thoughts help renew the mind with the Word of God. I'm Charlie Carter, and I'm here with Tim Little and Andy Stearns. Let's jump into the conversation.
1: It's episode 82. We're really getting up there. That's pretty fun. It is. Ep-
0: is it episode 82? It is. Hey, I'm Tim, do you know <laughs> what episode number we're on? <laughs> tim hates it
1: Tar- charlie was attempting there you could see the rye smile on his face and tim just shut him down
0: rye is easily one of the top four or five types of bread that i like so that it's makes usually because
1: it's a little bit angry a little bit mischievous all at the same time
0: you know what i saw today this introductory conversation
1: we just got five years roll. ago today
0: five years oh. ago today was when i graduated from seminary no way! Congratulations! I got Congratulations. A, I, I, a picture awesome. popped up on my Facebook memories and it had Dan Smith, Jared Seegerstrom, Jonathan Fuller, myself, and Doug Brown. We took like a selfie. Oh, that's awesome! In the windup line, you know, and so uh, that was that was fun to see. But it's commencement season, which also means it's summer reading list season. Oh yeah, look at that! That's beautiful.
1: We've Andy, all got memories of it's craziness. Just, we should post that.
0: Anyway, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to go around the table. This is this whole episode is sort of...
2: What? Books and business? Is, is that what you're after?
1: <laughs>
0: and he's just turning around his laptop all
1: and looking Facebook at... All these Facebook memories.
0: Uh, all these pictures from... We,
1: we have a picture when, when you graduated.
0: Oh, Was that college or seminary?
1: 2017.
0: Oh, yeah, seminary. Okay. The seminary, yeah. I'm quite a bit larger in that photo. You have... You have... Like, in full- fact... In fact, probably up there. probably like 40 pounds lighter. Yeah. Ish. But
1: anyway. You're doing good, man. So,
0: books and business, summer reads. Who wants to go first?
2: Ooh, we didn't talk about order ahead of time. Why don't you go first? You got a whole pile there. I right. do have a whole pile. Yeah, okay. well, that's good.
0: Let's that's start fair. with, we'll start with the bottom book then. So, uh, I did not put a lot of prep into this other than what? I.
2: Don't tell him that.
0: I put a Listener, lot of preparation into this. Fairly. I thought about this for hours <laughs> on end. I toiled. What books are they going to read this summer? I want to give them good recommendations. I actually just went in, looked at. You were so horrendous. I went into my office, looked at things that I had read this year, and thought, you know what, that was really helpful. And so I just, I just grabbed a quick uh, couple of books from that. So first one, uh, Pagans and Christians in the City: Culture Wars from the Tiber to the Potomac by Stephen Smith. And uh, I'm going to talk about this on a summer episode in a few weeks where just maybe unpack a little bit of what he's getting at. But we have uh, cultures clashing today in America, in Western society. And he goes back to Rome and talks about, just as the title says, pagans or paganism and Christianity and how they confronted each other back in the Roman Empire and how you know Christianity sort of kind of wins out, you know, Constantine and following emperors kind of bring Christianity as like the religion. And before that, it wasn't like the God, it was all the gods, the, the pantheon, uh, you know. And um, so he talks about kind of that clash of culture then, the differences between them, the differences in how they think about what religion is and why religion works. And it, I found it to be incredibly insightful into some of the issues that we're having right now because the clash that we're still having is a paganism of worship of the imminent, like what is here on this earth, mainly ourselves as, as, as creatures. And that, that kind of intersects with like secularism where people who don't think there's any spiritual thing out there. It's very material. And uh, then opposed to secular or pagan ideas of nothingness or lots of gods is a transcendent religion where there is a God outside of it all, and that's where Christianity and, and other monotheistic religions could fit in there, but obviously one of them must be true and all others must not be true if you're going to be monotheist. so uh, And we are convinced that we're right. So he, he it's very, very insightful. Uh, the last couple chapters, there's a lot talking about sexual ethics and uh, freedom of religion, which uh, I know this guy who just wrote an article about how our freedom of religion – Views directly impact our freedom of speech views because it's kind of the exact same thing. Like freedom is as freedom is. Um, but yeah, so I found that very helpful. I think uh, it's it's a thinky type of a book. You're you're gonna you're gonna want to think through, keep notes as you go. But if you more of an intellectual challenge for the summer, Pagans and Christians in the City: Culture Wars uh, by Stephen Smith. I'd give it I'd give it like a six or a seven on the goodness scale.
1: So I'm, I'm like two chapters in that book. It's really, I'm really liking it. I had to set it aside for some other things, but I would, I would jump onto that recommendation also. So I'll go next. Um, I'm going to try to prep a series on holiness sometime for next season, a couple of episodes. So I've been dabbling in different books. So that's part of why I'd read the Jerry Bridges Pursuit of uh, Holiness book. The next one I'm going to reference, I think you should read this summer that I've already read it, is The Hole in Our Holiness by Kevin DeYoung. And I, it's been a very good book. It's, it's the normal recommendation. He's going to have some theology views that are different than us, so you're going to want to be aware of those. You don't have to filter a ton. There's actually quite a bit of good stuff going on there. Uh, the book is helpful. It's an overall treatment of sanctification and sin and change and it's helpful i really like it part of what i enjoy about it is he has a chapter called spirit powered gospel driven faith fueled effort and he preached this as a sermon at a conference and it was very well received and here's what i like about it sometimes uh you can think that christianity is all your own self effort. you just gotta work really hard pull yourself up by your bootstraps and then there's like the keswick total opposite view, which is you essentially just let go and let God and wait for God to act. And he does a really, I think a really good job of hitting the balance, the biblical balance between those. You do rely on God, but at the end of the day, you got to like give effort. You got to try, you got to work hard and you can try. I mean, think about all the things you try at in your life that you want. You actually know how to try, you know how to work, you know how to do what you think you ought to do. He tries to tie those two things together without letting you think that it's not related to the Holy Spirit's work in your life. So I appreciated that. thought it was pretty balanced. I'm going to reread it this summer, uh, or reuse it, I should say. And so I'm going to be going through it, but I think it'd be something good for you to go through, especially if you've already read Bridges. Uh, if you read this next, I think that'd be great. So it's called The Hole in Our Holiness, Filling the Gap Between Gospel Passion and the Pursuit of Godliness by Kevin DeYoung. I'd probably give it a, a strong five or six on the goodness scale.
2: My first title is also about Kevin DeYoung. The Lord's Prayer is a new title published by Crossway. I've kind of tried to focus a little bit more in my personal spiritual journey uh, on prayer the last few months. I've recommended Valley of Vision on multiple occasions. And then a new title I recommended just a couple of weeks ago was A Way to Pray by Matthew Henry. Those books are books that explain uh, and give you ideas on how to pray. Uh, They include prayers that you can actually pray the book. The Lord's Prayer by Kevin Young is more of a an overview of the Lord's Prayer. So the Gospels and Jesus's prayer. Uh, within at least my what spiritual upbringing, the Lord's Prayer has not really been a major focus because it's it's kind of uh, been. Um, uh, sacramentalized or whatever like oh would you pray and a lot of people pray the lord's prayer and they think there i've prayed i prayed the lord's prayer but it's more of like a mindless repetition which i think jesus had something to say about that as well so as a result i think uh within a baptist circle in my upbringing i kind of have have overreacted away from the lord's prayer but the lord's prayer it is like a pattern and jesus is teaching how to pray so there's some real value there and De young kind of works through some of those issues he had several good points in the book. He had several good points in the book. Uh, talking about in the first chapter, how should we pray? He um, talks about prayer as a spiritual discipline, and uh, brought up uh, in James chapter four, it, t- it talks about drawing near to the Lord, and how that is uh, an important component of the spiritual disciplines and and walking and being filled in the Spirit. Drawing near to the Lord, I've often equated it with having one's devotions and getting into the Word of God on a regular daily basis. DeYoung brings up a a point, however, that the culture of Jesus' day was mostly an illiterate culture, which, by the way, we aren't really sure how illiterate they were, um, but at least they didn't have copies of the Bible like we do. Uh, There were very few scrolls, so it would have been very difficult for people to get into the Bible on a regular daily basis. Instead, how did the ancients normally draw near to the Lord? Through prayer. Uh, So connecting prayer to the spiritual disciplines in one's spiritual walk uh, should be something that's cultivated uh, for the Christian. So that was kind of a neat point that he uh, brought up, and I just thought I would share that also with the reader. And this summer, I would encourage you to pick up this book when you... Uh, The Lord's Prayer by Kevin DeYoung. And even without picking up the book, focus on your prayer life this summer. Have uh, a disciplined prayer life. One of the things he also talks about is hypocrisy. We tend to have not quite the right view of hypocrisy. We view hypocrisy as like, well, I don't feel it. So since I don't feel it, I don't want to do it because it's wrong. I don't want to be a hypocrite.
1: Yes, that's so horrible. Sorry.
2: Sorry. no you're right Uh, and he talks about that specifically he states on page 17 too often Christians think of hypocrites as people who do one thing but feel another that's not hypocrisy hypocrites publicize one set of beliefs but live by a different set of beliefs when you come to church but don't feel like it that's more like faithfulness you don't feel like coming but you're coming anyway
1: amen I want that quote
2: When you do the right thing in your marriage, even when you don't feel much in love, that's fidelity. I've heard too many times, Pastor, I would be a hypocrite to stay in this marriage because I'm not in love anymore. Or, I would be a hypocrite to come to worship when I don't feel like worshiping. Or, I would be a hypocrite to pray since I'm not sure what I believe and feel distant. Doing what is right when you don't feel like doing what is right. He calls it maturity. Okay, I would also call it you're training your affections. You're training your desires to do mm-hmm. habitually what is right. So you might be like, I don't like to pray. It's not, I'm not good at it, blah, blah, blah. I don't feel like it. Well, guess what? Do it. And then by doing it, you learn to feel like doing it. That is so good. Go ahead.
0: Okay. So I have to, I have to jump in on that. <laughs> I have to. So, what what is the person doing? Who, and key word here, recognizes <clears throat> that they don't feel like doing something they want to do or that they're supposed to do. What and then says, "Well, I recognize I don't want to do the thing I should want to do. Therefore, I will not do the thing I should want to do." They're recognizing a spiritual issue without solving it. They're using it as an excuse. To do what their flesh already feels it wants to do.
2: Right. Exactly. And
0: we've talked about this mm-hmm. in discipleship questions. Right. The goal of seeing what's going on in your heart is not just to be like, oh, look what's there. That's cute. You, you need to repent.
2: Or that's ugly. Yeah. <laughs> that, oh, that, that, facetiously <laughs> cute.
0: Yeah. So cute
2: and a
1: really grotesque. Like, the, the
0: person who says that is trying to act spiritual without being spiritual. They're not they're stopping short of the proper response. Feeling the wrong thing, like having an improper or inordinate emotion. Where did those emotions come from? Good emotions and bad emotions proceed from the flesh or the work of God's spirit in you. Mm -hmm. This is Galatians 5. Yeah. So that person is recognizing, oh, guess what? Yeah, my flesh is at work in me, producing the wrong emotions, so I guess I shouldn't obey. <laughs> they're just, they're using a really spiritualized answer to walk in the flesh. Right. Mm-hmm. And the answer is to repent of the wrong emotion. Right. That, that it's, it's, it is that simple, but the problem is the, the hardest thing God ever asks us to do is humble ourselves mm-hmm. because our flesh hates it. Mm-hmm. And so when you're walking in the flesh, what's the last thing you want to do? Oh yeah, those emotions are wrong and uh, I'm a sinner. And I should probably confess that sin to God and to the people that I'm wronging. Nobody wants it. No, nobody ever wants to do that. Anyway.
2: Oh, that's great stuff. And that's why I liked what he had to say there about the whole hypocrisy, which I think connects even to his previous book, Hole in Your Holiness, Mm -hmm. that um, Andy was just. Can
0: I tell a Kevin DeYoung story? Uh, Sure. So there was one time I was. That was
1: one of those questions where it didn't matter what. Yeah, I know. Right. Yeah, I was doing it it anyway. We all knew it.
0: (laughs) So I have spoke with Kevin DeYoung on two occasions. Maybe, (laughs) and they were both at this conference up in Minnesota a few years ago. And the first one was very inadvertent. The second one was intentional. Uh, He had he preached a message, and I had some questions I wanted to ask him about his message. And uh, ironically enough, I think it was from Galatians five that he spoke that day. So anyway, um. But so I was walking down the aisle of this big auditorium to go get in my seat for the conference and there was people coming back up the aisle and there was someone in a wheelchair who was trying to get like into the aisle with the handicap spot. And uh, so we're all, the, the progress has stopped and I just kind of look up from the wheelchair and I noticed that the guy standing directly like right shoulder to shoulder with me going the other way was Kevin Young. I'm like, dude, that's Kevin DeYoung. You know, and, and there's a lot of moments where you're like, you, you don't know what you're going to do in a moment until you're there. And then like, what comes out, comes out. And there's a lot of nice things I could have said to Kevin DeYoung. But what happened was I looked at him and I like slapped him on the shoulder. and I went, what's up, Kev dog?
1: <laughs> That's so good. And he
0: looked at me and like smiled and he's like, nothing much, brother. And like, then the, the aisle <laughs> cleared and he walked off. And I was like, of all the things you want to say to Kevin DeYoung? What's up, Kev Dog?
2: Somebody was watching too much of The Office.
0: Uh, probably. <laughs> anyway, so my next book—I love that story, by the way. I love this story. So the the next book I have is a beautiful, beautiful book that I'm holding. Uh, not because of what it is, its content, because I actually bought this book because uh, I was in this play, Pride and Prejudice. That Pride and Prejudice takes place in the early 1800s, and I needed a prop book, and I. I don't like anachronisms, so I wanted a book that was actually in existence in the UK at the time of the writing of Pride and Prejudice. So what I have is an 1809 copy of The Odyssey. It's beautiful. It's um, so glorious. Yeah. and it's uh, just... Mm. But, so there's much more accessible copies of The Odyssey that you can find. Uh, going back into the early parts of the season, we had a friend of the program, Dr. Josh Boyd, on, and he talked about uh, what... Uh, these are epic poems, and uh, we talked about how they're just they're just steeped with virtue. And what's interesting is the the inscription of this translation, which I'm just gonna read for fun, uh, to the Right Honorable Countess Dowager Spencer, the following translation of the Odyssey a poem that exhibits in the character of its heroine, which you know, the Odyssey is about Odysseus. But it's interesting that the translator here is trying to prop up Penelope, the wife, because he's translating it for a countess, for a woman, like trying to get the woman to read it. So a poem that exhibits in the character of its heroine, an example of all domestic virtue is with equal propriety and respect inscribed by her ladyship's most devoted servant, the author. And uh, so uh, it's interesting. Um. Think like here's a war story. It's a man who's at war and he's trying to get home. But the guy that's putting this together for this countess is like, no, there's actually a heroine in this story too. It's like, this is for everybody. But it's a classic for a reason. If you've never read the Odyssey or the Iliad or the Aeneid, it's worth your time. And so so the first book I had was very like, I think intellectually thinky. Like you're you're gonna probably draw like direct correlation out of it. This is more like I mean, it's. heavy air quotes fictional in a sense like it, it is and it isn't you know there are wars that actually happen there's debate over were these real historical events but um if you if you think through the virtues being exalted about the characters that'll be a help to you and it's also interesting with the whole paganism idea from the previous book that the some of the big characters in this story are the pagan gods like it's all of these greek gods And it's interesting that even though they're not Christian, they're not monotheist. there's a very real presence of something out there, which is very different from our modern secular culture, which says there's nothing out there. And so because of that pre-modern idea or pre-modern worldview, you you get to see glimmers of real beauty and virtue. So I think the Odyssey is a a great read for the summer if you need something.
1: Listener, you can't see this, but that book looks... Amazing. The outside cover is just glorious, whatever it is. It doesn't look like it's leather, but it look I don't know what it awesome. is. It's something awesome.
0: I muted my microphone. No, it's not. Yeah, it's got like it's got nice like gold trim on some stuff, but it just looks really cool. It just looks really cool. I got it for like twenty bucks on eBay.
1: See, I gotta get me one of those. Uh well that'll segue into my next book. I'm gonna recommend the Fellowship of the Ring this summer. So, oh, he just unmuted. <laughs>
0: I'm just ready.
1: <laughs> You're ready. What yeah. I will say is I in the fall list read The Fellowship of the Ring book 1. Just book 1, and then I set it aside because I had other things to do, but it was you know, I got that really nice edition that you sell in the bookstore, and it was glorious, and I enjoyed reading it. What I did is I read it slower, and I tried to focus more. The last time I read it, it was I was reading it really quick on my Kindle just to get through it. And so this time I was trying to go a little slower. So this summer I'm going to try to read book two. Now there's six books. There's two in first, two in the second, two in the third. And what I'm excited about is getting back to that glorious edition. That is so beautiful. I'm excited to read. I remember last time reading and picking up number one. I mean, there's Tom Bombadil. There's the, uh, Barrows down. There's all kinds of stuff in the book. That's not in the movie. And so I'm excited to get through book two of the fellowship to see what happens when they get to Rivendale and all that. Um, I, I think I will say though, that I think I've waited too long since I read book one. So it probably would have been better to read both at the same time and just keep going, but I needed to set it aside. But I can tell in my mind, it's a little foggy. Like, what was just happening? I know Obamadil saved him here. I know this happened. And so I think it'll come back to me as I get in, but maybe I should have picked it up a little sooner. So, but if you haven't read it, you know, get a copy and read it this summer. It'll be a good read. And there's, there's a lot more going on. There's virtue, there's uh, there's just a lot. I don't know how to say it. There's a lot going on, and I'm a little bit speechless about it. So, I would recommend it, The Fellowship of the Ring. Charlie, go.
0: So, recently, Elon Musk has bought Twitter, right? It's been so glorious watching then, him,
1: like, roast so all the people on the other there's side. There's a point to
0: this. There's a point to this, too. So, sorry, Tim. But there... Because I know you just... Whatever. Whatever. Um, then what followed was all of these memes of like Elon Musk tweeting, like (laughs) I'm now going to buy this and put this back in. Like I'm going to buy, so he buys Twitter and what does he put back into Twitter? Free speech. Mm -hmm. And so there's a lot of nice Lord of the Rings memes along these lines. But one of my favorite was I'm going to buy the Lord of the Rings franchise and I'm going to put Tom Bombadil back
1: in. I did see that. And
0: cause like, that's like, this is huge. Like Tom Bombadil presents such an interesting discussion or problem for people reading or like, who is he like in the mythology of middle earth? Like who is this guy? Like, cause like he, like how, how he's almost not swayed by the mm-hmm. ring. And yeah. like, he's this ancient, like powerful character. Mm-hmm. And there is legitimately, we, we don't know like in Tolkien's mythology of middle earth, like who he is. It's, it's so like, and you know, but of course the only allusion to Bombadil in the movies, is? I
1: don't know.
0: In the Two Towers. And this, it's, he's only in Fellowship in the book, but in yeah. Two Towers, the movie, Merry and Pippin have gone into Fangorn, and there's that scene where the roots of the trees start yeah. taking them. Uh-huh. That actually happens to Frodo and Sam in Fellowship yeah. in the book, and they're saved by Tom Bombadil. In in the movie, it's then Treebeard who like saves them from the roots of the tree, but that, that's like an ode to Tom Bombadil in the Two Towers movie. But like I get it though because you would be presenting a character in the movie that you can't like ever bring back again or like explain to the audience. Mm-hmm. So like uh, I get why they didn't put him there, but like it's kind of like a huge like I'll, I'll, some people are salty about it. You get on some message boards.
1: Have we ever talked about Tom Bombadil on the air? We have not. Okay. I have a theory about it.
0: I will just I I have a book that a good friend of mine, Cameron, bought for me for Christmas from I think it's from Canon Press. Uh, like a Tom Bombadil book that I'm planning to read over the summer because it's a very left-fieldy type of a thing. And then so uh we'll we'll talk about Bombadil
1: then. Okay. Okay. I just, so I have a theory. I'll save it till then though. It's a good theory. What's
0: a what's the summer reads episode without a tangent on Tom Bombadil? I mean goodness. <laughs> Sorry, Tim.
2: <laughs> in the House of Tom Bombadil. That's the book. Yeah. That's
0: the name of it and it's oh, got man. a sweet little cover on it like a
2: I I started reading it in christmas time when it came out and i
1: don't know be interesting
0: what's his chick friend's name
1: goldenberry goldenberry I gotta, he's always got to get home to goldenberry
0: mm-hmm. and who's who the heck is that
1: it's just yeah yeah it's like oh we gotta talk about this it's sometime
0: very interesting um yeah it's, it's it's yeah
2: what i remember from the book was how I didn't get very far. I only read like the intro first chapter or something and sorry, I got disinterested, but, uh, <laughs> but he talks about how there's a lot of debate on who Tom Bombadil is within Tolkien scholarship.
0: Cause like, so, and
2: I don't really care. We that much. could, we
0: could go really deep into this. Like what, what is Gandalf? Like who is, um, Sauron? Like, who are these? Like, like if we, if we wanted to put it in terms of like angels, demons, like who are these? Like, the Maiar, says, the Valar, like all, all of these, like it's it's a very deep mythology. And that's the problem is because it is a very, it's a very well developed. Like you go into the Silmarillion, like who these things are, like the creation songs of the Valar, like we, we know who a lot of th- people are. But then now you have this character, Tom Bombadil, who you're like, who is this guy? There and, you like, go. It's just, it's a weird, like, obviously he wanted him there. He's in the story what was Tolkien doing? Like, it's just interesting. You know, like, you talk about authorial intent. Like, why did he put that character there? You know, would someone like Tolkien just, like, whiff and, like, throw a rando character in? And well, that's know? very possible. I mean, it happens all the time. That that's, that's one of the options. Anyway, we gotta keep going. I'm sorry.
2: So, In the House of Tom Bombadil, that would be uh, the one Charlie's reading, and we are not recommending, but uh, you can check it out. <laughs> so... <laughs> if that suits your fancy, you go for it. I'm going to pass. Uh, the, the, so it's summertime and I think we have got like two or three weddings to go to for like three weeks in a row wo- in a row. Uh, a lot of people are getting married and, um, my wife and I, uh, talked to a lot of singles who are engaged. They're getting married and I just, thought I'd throw out on the podcast. I'm not going to go into details or anything, but, uh, the book that we give engaged couples, uh, couples that are getting married or newly married, or even if you've been married a while intended for pleasure by Ed and gay wheat. Uh, that is a book that I'd recommend for, uh, couples that are about to be married. Um, it's, uh, a very helpful resource for newly married couples as they begin their new lives together. Uh, and what God has to say about their new life together and how God's made them. Uh, so Intended for Pleasure by Ed and Gay Wheat. Uh, that's the book that I would recommend. That's all I've got for that book. It's your turn.
0: Yeah, it is It is wedding season for sure. Starting May 21st, going through June 18th, uh, which is like five weeks, I think, I will be at or in six weddings. Um, One of the weekends, there's a, there's a wedding in Georgia that I think I'm going to drive to and then come back that weekend. There's a, a wedding the following Monday, so Saturday, Monday, and then I'm in another wedding the next weekend. I have to be up in uh, it's Minnesota slash Dakotas on Friday. So it's like, bang, bang, bang. like That's crazy.
1: But... Wow, you're going to put a lot of miles on that. Hopefully it's a new vehicle. Ooh, that would be nice. Uh,
0: So other than weddings this summer, there's another thing that uh, we kind of all do from time to time in the summer. It's very common for us to speak at Bible camps or like for me, uh, since the college kids are gone, I'm not driving the church van anymore. Uh, I get more pulpit supply opportunities. So I I speak a lot, preach a lot in the summers. And so my next book is just something that I'm probably going to work through again over the summer. I'm not sure if I've mentioned this on the air specifically, but we had a guest earlier this season, Jonathan Pennington, Dr. Pennington from Southern, and uh, we talked about his other book. uh, Help me, help me here. I can picture the cover, but I- Jesus the Great Philosopher. Jesus the Great Philosopher, thank you. Oh, man. And uh, I'm getting old. Mine's mine's going. But uh, so this is his other book that I actually assigned in uh, one of my courses uh, in the college. It's called Small Preaching. 25 little things you can do now to become a better preacher. And um, I think a lot of times, uh, homiletics courses, or when you're trying to preach, and rightfully so, there's a heavy emphasis on the exegetical method and the homiletical design of a sermon. There's a lot of work that goes into that. This is like a complete pivot. It's kind of just like a sprinkle on top of that other work you're going to do. Just great reminders of, like, hey, how do you handle criticism? How do you handle compliment? Uh, like, how do you work together with other people? Uh, how do you use, you know, your first minute and in your introduction effectively? You know, like any uh, little quick tips, twenty-five quick tips, and some of them are, I think, more beneficial than others. Uh, but I I found it helpful going through that with uh, some of my students this past semester. So I think I'm gonna I'm gonna probably process through it again as I get ready to preach. And so if you're in that boat. Uh, maybe you're getting ready for a VBS. Maybe you're getting ready to go up to a summer camp and speak or be around kids for a week and you know, having opportunities to open the word. I think this would be a help to you. Just thinking through like, what's kind of the mindset behind um, sharing the word with with people. And there's, I think a lot of venues that, that could fit into. Certainly for people, if you're a pastor or someone in a teaching role, I think this would be a helpful book for you. I
2: remember a homiletics professor of mine mentioning after you get into the ministry, try to read a homiletics book every year or every other year uh, just to keep the discipline fresh. And so I think it's really cool that you're reading a book on preaching uh, and trying to continue to stay sharp in that area. It also reminds me, you know, that we are doing some teaching and stuff this summer. And I think you're teaching Intro to Bible Study?
1: Yeah, for Jumpstart. so High schoolers who are good... Graded seniors can come out this summer and take intro to Bible study.
2: And even if you're, I mean, this is for more than just high school seniors. And
1: jumpstart is for high school seniors.
2: Okay, never mind. Well, I like adult gonna, learners, you mean? Yeah. So no, adult it's, it's only for high schoolers. Okay. Well, sorry, I'm done. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it was it almost commercial? Good job. To I practice. was gonna say, <laughs>
2: you know, hey, you could.
1: But if you want to take apologetics, I'm teaching that second week of uh, May. second week of May. You could come for that module that'd be a good one. yeah
2: i'm teaching hebrew exegesis in a couple oh
1: come on listener
0: hebrew exegesis of
2: <laughs> we're gonna translate through i <laughs> it's not all the... of it it's the it's the poetry <laughs> component so we're gonna translate isaiah 40 through 45 40 through 45
0: that was a good season of life when you were preparing that class and we were reading like poetic diction by owen barfield <laughs> and thinking through poetic ideas and and we were, yeah, those, those were a good time. That's like two or three years ago.
2: This is the class where it's the employment of all of those ideas. So they've yeah. already had Hebrew exegesis two, and now we're using it in Isaiah 40 through 45, Translate through one of the servant songs, Isaiah 42. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a great text about exalting God.
0: So just, just for a second, because I, I think a lot of our listeners maybe don't know what you just said, what are the servant songs in Isaiah?
2: Uh, so most people are familiar with Isaiah 53 as one of the servant songs, the servant of the Lord who is uh, prophetically—it's Jesus. Jesus is the servant. So Isaiah 53, the idea that the servant is going to bear the sin of uh, the world, is there in Isaiah 53 in a prophetic um, in, a, in a prophetic manner? Well, you also have the servant songs in Isaiah 42, 49, 50 and 53. Those are the four servant songs. Maybe we should do like a mini series on those. That could be fun. That would be awesome. And there's like a questionable servant song. Some believe there's a fifth servant song in Isaiah 61. So the servant of the Lord is the Messiah, Jesus, and he leads the servant nation, Israel. So both uh, the servant is sometimes referring to the Messiah and sometimes referring to the country.
1: There's the servants. All right. Is it Andy? No, it's you. But can I dive in? Well, on no, something? I
0: did small preaching, and that got us on a tangent. Oh, oh yeah, but I, I have a anywhere. question
1: before I go for my next book. So you had brought up small preaching, and then Tim had said that he was recommended as a seminary student by his professor to read a book on HOM every couple of years when you're in the pulpit ministry. So I thought, I, don't, I know we don't have tons of time to talk about it, but when you have read a book in something you're already proficient at. I think some people would think, oh, I'm a good preacher already, or I'm a good expositional person already, or I'm good at whatever it is, basket weaving already, and I don't need to read another book. What is your says? I have a thought on this, but I'll ask you first. What's your experience when you read a book in something you already know pretty well and you're proficient in? Do you take more from it, or do you take less from it?
2: I'll just speak from the poetry perspective when I am working through a Hebrew text, I know I know Hebrew po- poetry, okay, I've, I've taught it, so on and so forth. But when I require my students to slow down and actually go through the steps, it, it actually reminds me of the steps that I'm often overlooking. Mm, yep. uh, so it's um, helpful for me to be reminded of the very principles that I'm teaching students on a regular basis. And similarly, from a homiletics perspective, uh, being reminded of the principles that I once learned, and we tend to kind of cut corners, especially when we're busy, so uh, being reminded of some of those steps, I've I've found helpful.
0: Yeah, like, um, I mean, I don't think you asked the question specifically in like the homiletical field. It could be any
1: field, but that's a good example because we're talking about it. I mean,
0: like, uh, so like... This That preaching class that I was referring to, they read Preaching God's Word, which is like the Duvall-Carter Hayes companion to grasping God's Word for for homiletics. And, I mean, at this point, I've read <laughs> dozens upon dozens of preaching books for, you know, undergrad, masters, doctoral, like, you know, all of it. And so you you are tempted to, like, be above it a little bit. And like, okay, yep, I know what he's saying. I know what he's saying. But it's the the slowing down and reminding yourself is really helpful, and uh, we I think we forget the role of repetition and teaching. Amen. And Second Peter one, he you know there's the passage where he talks about you know add to your faith virtue and virtue this and then this mm-hmm. like a very a very sanctification uh, vernacular like keep adding to your faith confirming your election through your growth, and then right after that chunk he says and. I will never neglect to remind you always of these things, though you know them and are established in them. Mm -hmm. Yes, I think it is right, as long as I'm in this earthly body, to stir you up by reminding you of these things. It's like, Peter's like, as long as I'm alive, you're going to hear the same thing over and over and over again, which in that context is, you need to be sanctified. It's like, Mm -hmm. even though you know that, even though you're doing that, I'm going to still tell you it every time I see you. And uh, in that particular class, I I even brought that up and like with teenagers, like the goal isn't to like get them to regurgitate the answer and then look, I've discipled them. It's like you need to have a relationship where there's a a, a bridge of trust where you can remind them to keep walking with the Lord for a long time. But yeah, so I think I think that slowing down and, and catching the repetition is always helpful.
1: I would agree with you. I think that when I've read books, I'm thinking of apologetics. I've read a bunch. that field and some others. I think for me, what I, what I see is the first time you read a book in a field, any field that's new to you, I feel like it's slow going. You're kind of slogging through it. You're trying to like get the vernacular, the grammar down. But by the time you've read three, four, maybe five books, you're starting to get really familiar with that topic, that content area. And what I notice is I can go faster through books because I sort of know what's coming. And so reader, Absolutely. if you feel like you're slow at reading, sometimes stay in that same topic, genre, whatever, and eventually you're going to grow in proficiency. And it's, it's, it's both learning to read fast, but it's just knowing the field. And then the second thing I would say is that I get more out of books that are in, a, even though it's, you wouldn't think that, you're like, oh, I already know this. I, I feel like I take more out of those books that are basic than I would have if I was reading it in the field before I knew very much. And I think sometimes college students, they're reading so many different books. Or if you're a reader and you're just starting up for the first time in your life, you're going to feel like you don't take much out of books. Just stick with it and then read things in the same area. And eventually you'll get to the eighth, ninth book in that field. You'll pull way more out of it because the concepts are familiar. And then lastly, I think I think you see what's really different and important about the book much faster once you've read a lot in that field. Even if you've reread the same book over and over, you start to see where it's important. So, anyways, I just thought that was a good. If you're so, going to read this summer, that's a good tip.
0: Who who started?
1: You, you
0: did I go first?
1: I'm you done. just did small preaching. Now it's my turn.
0: Well, no, like who who did the first book? You did. Did I really? You did. Yes. Yeah,
1: you did the Odyssey. No, well, no, or no, no, no. Sorry, you did. um Higgins? pagans. Yep. And then we come okay. around. Yeah.
0: One, two, three. One, two, three. Okay. So this would be the third round. Yeah. Okay.
1: Okay. Listener, that was fun. Okay, so here's um, my next book. It is by. <laughs> we would say we're going to edit it out, but we know our editor and it's not going to happen. Um, it's not never. <laughs> this never book, in a million years. I got it for like two bucks on Kindle on sale a while back. And I was looking for another book to read, you know, flipping through and it's called the purity principle by Randy Alcorn. Now I've read a bunch of books on purity. I'd never read this one. I thought oh, this sounds good. Um, already I'm only two chapters in and it's got a very unique angle that I'm really enjoying. So I'm glad to have it in my repertoire of books to recommend. I'm glad personally for the good reminders. I'm not sure what I should say about. It. I want to talk about it in the future, but I guess I'll because of what you mentioned earlier. His his take is when it comes to purity and other types of sins, the Bible speaks in a variety of ways to warn us against those. And I remember studying through Proverbs chapter one verses eight through t- uh, eight through the end of the chapter, where the fool, the band of fools, is going to try to um, entice the son to go with them. And Solomon doesn't stop and have a heart conversation with him. He actually warns him about the impending doom in the future. Now that's not to say Solomon doesn't care about the heart. I'm not saying that, but it's just interesting that when he talks to him, he's sort of reasoning with him. He's sort of talking reality with his son. And so Randy Alcorn says, there's got to be a place for that in our discussion of sin. And so he says, he says, a couple of quotes real quick from, I know I've only read three chapters so far. He says, a holy God made the universe in such a way that actions true to his character and laws derived from his character are always rewarded. Actions that violate his character, however, are always punished. He rewards every act of justice. He punishes every act of injustice. Later on, he says, in the same way, God doesn't need to punish the pornography addict for every wrong choice. The punishment is built into the sin. Shame, degradation, and the warping of a personality follows as a matter of course. Scripture describes those who have surrendered to their lusts to live in immorality as, quote, receiving in them, in their own persons, the due penalty for their error. So he goes through this whole discussion of, it's, it's essentially like, here's the sin, now what's it actually going to give you? Now, if you think about Ephesians 4, what is it that causes the problem for the Gentiles? Their minds are darkened by the deception of their desires, their deceitful desires that they've been beholden to. And so Alcorn's essentially trading in the world of this is reality. Okay, you're, you're looking at this temptation. What's it actually going to offer you? What's it going to do for you? And then he answers the question of, is it wrong to think that way? Now, I do think there's probably some, and I haven't read the whole book, so I'm not going to totally say this is okay, but he talks in chapter two about enlightened self-interest. He says, God really does want you to have a good life. Now, that's not the Joel Osteen, okay, this is like the abundant life where you live for the Lord. Now, I would say that suffering can fit in that. Difficulty can fit in that. It is part of the good life God has for us, but the good life doesn't include walking in unrepentant sin. And so part of living in the world God created according to God's character, you might even say according to the order of something. What's that? What's that, Tim?
2: Yeah, wisdom, the order of creation. Yeah.
1: There is an there is a sense that you can look at the world and say God wants me to to thrive and to flourish as a believer and it's okay to say I don't want to walk down that path of lying to the IRS or looking at porn or like think about it. Like when someone's raging angry, and they're about to go off and clock someone and like punch them in the face. What do we say to that person to get their attention? Hey, 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 do you want to go to prison? And essentially I think he's saying, it's not wrong to do that. Cause some people might say, no, 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 no. It's gotta be it's sort of what DeYoung was saying. Like you gotta want to hypocr- do it. Yeah. Yeah. The, hypocr- yeah, the hypocrisy thing. Uh-huh. So anyways, I'm not sure where I'm, where, what I think about this. I got to read the whole thing. He's sort of like laying the groundwork, mm-hmm. but I think I really like it. So It it seems like a pretty safe book. It might be interesting for you to read. So, the Purity Principle by Randy Alcorn.
2: Beautiful. I don't have a, and we're about running close on our time. So you go ahead and I got got another book. You
1: got one
0: more. I got one more. I'll just I'll just say both of them really quick. Um, just mine won't take long. I think my eye was just catching colors because all a lot of the books I'm grabbing today were red and white, like really sweet cover books. Is there
2: something about judging a book by its cover? Oh, this is so good.
0: I love judging books by their cover. So
2: you know, all,
1: all your covers are essentially I was at red, a bookstore yesterday,
0: right? and I was judging by covers. I bought a book purely for the cover.
2: I know. Exactly. It happens all the time. Anyway, That's why so, the cover matters.
1: <laughs> the cover
0: matters.
2: It does. Uh,
0: so I've got two things. Uh, we've mentioned these before. No surprises. The Intellectual Life by A.G. Here, here. Mm. Serté Oh, it's such and a good book. And The Great Divorce by C.S. Lewis. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just saw a great divorce uh, on my uh, one of my book mantles at home this morning, and thought, man, that's just it's just a very uplifting read it, it, to think to think about heaven and to think about like why like it, it's a, it's just a great spiritual book. I, I I can't really say why or you know it's just I think it's just a good imaginative thing there to, to read. Great divorce if you haven't, it's a great book. Uh, And then intellectual life, I think the reason I grabbed this is most of the time, uh, this is for all of us, but specifically if you're a college student listening to this, oh, I've got so much more time over the summer, I can do whatever I want, I don't have to read all these stupid books. And uh, he uses an illustration, Surtay Ange, of how, how wide the banks of a river are, that determines how the water flows. And so you widen the banks out in the summer. Like, ah, oh, so free. And you, the water, just move so, so slow. drip, trip, drip, hmm. drip, drip, Just trickle, yeah. trickle, trickle, trickle. No, go to this, go to that, go to that. You know, it's just kind of a mum drum kind of a, a thing. And, you know, maybe you're just really burnt and you need some time. Okay, great. If you really want to keep growing and developing your mind, you don't want wide banks. You want close banks. You want to have things in your life to keep you moving and intentional and direct, uh, especially intellectually. And so uh, grab that book, The Intellectual Life, and read it or just kind of a plug of why you would want a reading list over the summer that you want to stick to because it's going to keep you moving in the direction spiritually and intellectually that you want to move.
2: And get a couple of friends to read with you, especially something like The Intellectual Life. It's a great book to read out loud and discuss.
0: And on top of that, I will, I'm going to do something starting probably Saturday. I'm going to get rid of all social media or games on my phone for like two or three months. Like until students come back, um, try I have, I have reading goals. I have fitness goals. I have things that need to get done ministry wise over the summer. And so I'm just trying to like, I'm putting into practice what I just said that you all need to do. It's like uh i'm going to try and bring the banks in and like really focus on some things and you got to get rid of distractions too mm-hmm. and and yep. so you know what you're never going to look back on your life and think man i wish in the summer of 2022 i had facebook on my phone yep. you're, you're never going to think that later in your life but you know maybe there's a book you could read you know that changes you gets you on the right path spiritually and you're going to be really thankful you did that 50 years from now so just a nice plug of encouragement going into the summer.
1: That's really good. That's really good. You can even flip that around and say how many people or how many times have you listener been regretful that you had all that on your phone? So there's probably a lot of times. All right. So this is ironic and unplanned. Charlie was showing us his stack earlier and he's like, man, look, these are like all basically red covered books. And uh, I had picked one book for my final book. I haven't read it though. I'm just going to say, I'm going to read this this summer. It sounds good. And Charlie's read it, so he'll give you a quick summary or quick recommendation of it, I think. Um, it's by a man by the name of Brian Jaquist, and it's called Red Wall. Ah. Literally, and you had a stack of red books. So it's a book about animals with swords and things, and I've not read it, but it sounds great. I bought it at Christmas, haven't had time. going to try to read it, but you have, right? I started it. Okay, so you've gotten a little And then I there.
0: got into doctoral class. <laughs> And then at the same time as doctoral class, I got into Pride and Prejudice, like stepped in a big old pile of doo doo okay. of of Pride and Prejudice and doctoral class, <laughs> and uh, so I haven't gone back to Redwall in quite a long time. Okay. but I've, i I'm just maybe it looks fun. It really 50, looks 60 fun. 60 pages in, okay. it's it's just all of those books where animal characters, yeah. and virtue on display, and character development, like it, it's just you know,
1: it, it has to come from Animal Land. You know, it's
0: good so. stuff. It's good stuff.
1: Okay, well, that's it. That's all we got. Hey,
0: any last thoughts for the summer?
1: I would just say that I do think the point you made that you're going to take off like social media and all that from your phone. I'm going to do that with you. Okay, I'm ready. Um, but are I'm we going to ne- make
0: it a Thinkling's challenge?
1: Well, it's already. I don't have any social media or games on my hey, phone. Hey, everyone!
0: Everyone <laughs> listening to this, get rid of Facebook for the summer, and then you can let us know about that by Instagram. posting on our Facebook page. In-
2: <laughs> Instagram,
0: <laughs> Twitter. I will oh, say That's going to be a hard one for me. I love, I love, Twitter. I'm uh, not, I'm, I can still go on my computer. Yeah, I just don't are, want, yep. I don't want like in my pocket tap, all tap. of the distraction.
1: Yep. I'm with you. I would just say that I think every time I've reduced things from my phone to like anything that was a distraction You've produced things. Well, I would just say that overall it's been better. And even if it's just because it's denying my desires like denying what i want i want to be entertained i want to relax i want to goof off and i have to deny myself that and i think that's Mm. a good spiritual practice if you haven't done that it's worth doing and i I think there's spiritual fruit that grows out of that not just like productivity reduce
0: to produce oh that's good yeah
2: something you could produce coming back to my original book prayer spend Mm -hmm. some time in prayer when we think of prayer we often think of requesting something from the lord Instead, look at prayer more as an opportunity and a time to praise God, to thank him for the good things that he's done for you. Uh, In that, you'll find real spiritual nourishment. So that was my closing thought. Try to spend more time in prayer this summer.